Chapter Ten of Dorothy Dale in the City by Margaret Penrose. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Lynn Thompson. Chapter Ten. Sixty miles an hour. The station at North Birchland was just a brownstone building, and a small platform surrounded by a garden, like all country town stations but a more animated crowd of young people had rarely gathered anywhere. Dorothy, Tavia, and Aunt Winnie were noticeable among the crowd, their smart travelling suits and happy smiling faces being good to look upon. Ned, who was to accompany his mother, stood guard over the bags while they were being checked by the station master. Nat, Ted, and Bob, who had come to see them off, pranced about impatient for the train, and altogether they were making such a racket that an elderly lady picked up her bag and shawls and quickly searched for a quieter part of the station. It was such a long time since the elderly lady had been young and going on a journey that she completely forgot all about the way it feels and how necessary it is to laugh and chatter noisily on such occasions. Nat looked in Tavia's direction constantly and at last succeeded in attracting her attention. He appeared so utterly miserable that instinctively Tavia slipped away from the others and walked with him toward the end of the station. But this did not make Bob any happier. He devoted himself to Dorothy and Aunt Winnie, casting longing glances at Nat and Tavia. Dorothy was charming in a travelling coat of blue and a small blue hat and veil gracefully tilted on her bright blonde hair, a coquettish quill encircling her hat and peeping over her ear. Tavia was dressed in a brown tailored suit, and a lacy dotted brown veil accentuated the pink in her cheek and the brightness of her eyes. A light far down the track told of the approaching train. Joe and Roger were having an argument as to who saw the gleam first, and Major Dale had to come to the rescue and be umpire. As the rumble and roar grew nearer and the light became bigger, the excitement of the little group became intense. With a great loud roar and hissing, the train stopped, and the coach on which they had engaged berths was just in front of them. The yellow flyer, read Joe carefully. Is that where you will sleep? he asked, looking in wonder at the car. Yes, indeed, Joey, said Dorothy, kissing him goodbye, in cunning little beds hanging from the sides of the coach. Dorothy held out her hand to Bob. Goodbye, she said. Tavia, just behind Dorothy, glancing quickly up at Bob, blushed as she placed her slim hand in his large brown one. "'You're coming to New York, too, with the boys?' she asked demurely. Bob held her hand in his strong grip, and it hurt her, as he said very stiffly, "'I don't know that I shall.' With a toss of her head, Tavia started up the steps of the coach, but Bob, following, still held her hand tightly, and she stopped. All the others were on the train. She looked straight into his eyes and said, We're going to have no end of fun, you know. Bob released her hand. Standing in the vestibule, Tavia turned once more. Please come, she called to him, then rushed into the train and joined the others. When the cars pulled out, the last thing Tavia saw was Bob's uncovered head and Nat's waving handkerchief, and she smiled at both very sweetly. Then they waved their handkerchiefs until darkness swallowed up the little station. The girls looked about them. A sleeping car. Tavia thrilled with pleasant anticipation. It was all so very luxurious. 
Aunt Winnie almost immediately discovered an old acquaintance sitting directly opposite. The lady, very foreign in manner and attire, held a tiny white basket under her huge sable muff. She gushed prettily at the unexpected pleasure of having Aunt Winnie for a travelling companion. Tavia thought she must be the most beautiful lady in all the world, and both she and Dorothy found it most disconcerting to be ushered into a sleeping car filled with staring people and be introduced to so lovely a creature as Aunt Winnie's friend. The beautiful lady whispered mysteriously to Aunt Winnie and pointed to the hidden basket, and instantly a saucy growl came from it. "'A dog!' gasped Dorothy. Why, they don't permit dogs on a Pullman. Let's get a peep at him, said Tavia. The little darling, to go travelling just like real people. Immediately following the growl, the lady and Aunt Winnie sat in dignified silence and stared blankly at the entire car. They're making believe, whispered Tavia, pretending there isn't any dog and that no one heard a growl. I'm simply dying to see the little fellow, said Dorothy unaware that the future held an opportunity to see the dog that now reposed in the basket. "'Well, Dorothy,' said Tavia, "'according to the looks across the aisle, there ain't no dog.' Tavia loved an expressive phrase, regardless of grammatical rules. "'Did Ned get on?' suddenly asked Dorothy. "'I don't see him.' "'He's on,' answered Tavia disdainfully. "'In the smoker. Didn't you hear him beg our permission?' After an hour had passed, Aunt Winnie came toward them and said, Don't you think it best to retire now, girls? You have a strenuous week before you. Dorothy and Tavia readily agreed, as neither had found much to keep them awake. Many of the passengers had already retired, some of them immediately after the last stop was made. Tavia could not remain quiet and happy too, where there was no excitement. She preferred to sleep peacefully, and strangely, the Pullman sleeper offered no fun even to an inventive mind like Tavia's. Ned might have stayed with us, sighed Dorothy. Boys are so selfish. Wouldn't you like to go into the smoker too, suggested Tavia. What? Tavia Travis, you're simply too awful, cried Dorothy. Oh, just to keep awake. After all, I find I have a yearning to stay up. All in favour of the smoker say aye, and alone aye came from Tavia. Besides, said Dorothy, the porter wouldn't permit it, unless we carried something in our hands that looked like a pipe, mused Tavia. We might take Ned some matches, rejoined Dorothy, seeing that the subject offered a little variety. When the porter takes down our berths, we'll quietly suggest it and see how it takes, said Tavia. Along with feeling like storming the smoker, I'm simply dying for a weeny bit of ice cream. Tavia, said Dorothy, trying to speak severely. I think you must be having a nightmare. Such unreasonable desires. So, yawned Tavia, I'll have to go to bed hungry, I suppose. Do you really want ice cream as badly as that? I never yearned so much for anything. Dorothy was rather yearning for ice cream herself, since it had been suggested, but she knew it was an utter impossibility. The dining car was closed, and how to secure it, Dorothy could not think. However, she called the porter, and while he was taking down their berths, she and Tavia went over to say good night to Aunt Winnie and her friends. I'll try not to awaken you girls when I retire, said Aunt Winnie. Ned's berth, by strange coincidence, is the upper one in Mrs. Sanderson's section. Years ago, Mrs. Sanderson and myself occupied the same section in a Pullman for an entire week and it was the beginning of a delightful friendship.
Mrs. Sanderson told the girls about her present trip, but Tavia was so hungry for the ice cream, and Dorothy so busy trying to devise some means to procure it, that they missed a very interesting story from the beautiful lady. Then, returning to their berths, Tavia climbed the ladder and everything was quiet. Dorothy, she whispered, her head dangling over the side of the berth, peep out and find the porter. I must have ice cream. Why, Tavia? asked Dorothy. Just because, answered Tavia in the most positive way. Dorothy and Tavia both looked out from behind their curtains. Every other one was drawn tightly, save two, for Aunt Winnie and her friend and Ned, who had come back, were the only passengers still out of their berths. Ned winked at the girls when their heads appeared. Holding up a warning finger at Ned, who faced them, the girls stole out of their section and crept silently toward the porter. In hurried whispers, they consulted him, but the porter stood firm and unyielding. They could not be served with anything after the dining car closed. So then they descended to coax him. Just one girl pleading for ice cream might have been resisted, but when two sleep-eyed young creatures begged so pitifully to be served with it at once, the porter threw up his hands and said, I'll see if it can be got, but I ain't got no right for to get it, though. Soon he reappeared with two plates of ice cream. Tavia took one plate in both hands hungrily, and Dorothy took the other. When they looked at Aunt Winnie's back, Ned stared, but Aunt Winnie was too deeply interested in her old friend to care what Ned was staring at. Duck, cautioned Tavia, who was ahead of Dorothy, as she saw Aunt Winnie suddenly turn her head. They slipped into the folds of a nearby curtain, but sprang instantly back into the centre of the aisle. Snoring, deep and musical, sounded directly into their ears from behind the curtain, and even Tavia's love of adventure quailed at the awful nearness of the sound. One little lurch, and they would have landed in the arms of the snoring one. Just to make the ice cream taste better, Aunt Winnie again turned partly. Dorothy and Tavia stood still, unable to decide whether it was wise to retreat or advance. Ned solved it for them by rising and waiting for the girls. Aunt Winnie, of course, turned all the way around and discovered the two girls hugging each other in silent mirth. Tavia would have cream, explained Dorothy, but it would have tasted so much better had we eaten it without being found out, said Tavia, woefully. Just look at this, said Ned, and maybe the flavour of the cream will be good enough. And he handed the girls a cheque, marked in neat, small print, which the porter had handed him, two plates of ice cream at 75 cents each, $1.50. How outrageous, cried Dorothy. We'll return it immediately, said Tavia indignantly. I paid it, explained Ned dryly. You wanted something outside of meal hours, and you might have expected to have the price raised. At that cost, each spoonful will taste abominable, moaned Tavia. Said Dorothy sagely, it won't taste at all if we don't eat it instantly. It's all but melted now. Yes, pray eat it, said the gruff voice of a man behind closed curtains, so the rest of us can get to sleep. Another voice, with a faint suggestion of stifling laughter, said, I'm in no hurry to sleep, understand? Still, I engaged the berth for that purpose. But Dorothy and Tavia had fled and heard no more comments. Aunt Winnie followed. How ridiculous to want ice cream at such an hour, and in such a place, she said. Old melted stuff, complained Tavia. 
It tastes like the nearest thing to nothing I've ever attempted to eat. And auntie, giggled Dorothy, we paid 75 cents per plate. I'm drinking mine. It's nothing but milk. Soon the soft breathing of Aunt Winnie denoted the fact that she had slipped silently into the land of dreams. Dorothy, too, was asleep, and Tavia alone remained wide awake, listening to the noise of the cars as the train sped over the country. Tavia sighed. She had so much to be thankful for. She was so much happier than she deserved to be, she thought. One fact stood out clearly in her mind. Sometime, somehow, she would show Dorothy how deeply she loved and admired her, above everyone else in the world. After all, a sincere, unselfish love is the best one can give in return for unselfish kindness. The next thing Tavia knew, although it seemed as if she had only just finished thinking how much she loved Dorothy, a tiny streak of sunlight shone across her face. She sat bolt upright, confused and mystified, in her narrow bed so near the roof. The sleepy mist left her eyes, and with a bound she landed on the edge of her berth, her feet dangling down over the side of it. The train was not moving, and peeping out of the ventilator she saw that they were in a station, and an endless row of other trains met her gaze. "'Good morning,' she sang out to Dorothy, but the only answer was the echo of her own voice. Some few seconds passed, and Tavia was musing on what hour of the morning it might be, when a perfectly modulated voice said, "'Anything you all want, Smith?' "'Gracious, no.' "'Oh, yes, I do. What time is it?' she asked. Near on to seven o'clock, said the porter. Thank you, demurely answered Tavia, and started to dress. All went well until she climbed down the ladder for her shoes and picked up a beautifully polished but enormous number eleven. She looked again, Aunt Winnie's very French-heeled kid shoes and Dorothy's stout walking boots, and one of her own shoes were there, but her right shoe was gone. She held up the number eleven boot and contemplated it severely. To be sure, both her feet would have fitted snugly into the one big shoe, but that wasn't the way Tavia had intended making her debut in New York City. She looked down the aisle and saw shoes peeping from under every curtain, and some stood boldly in the aisle. The porter at the end of the car dozed again, and Tavia, the number 11 in hand, started on a still hunt for her own shoe. She passed several pairs of shoes, but none were hers. At the end of the car, she jumped joyfully on a pair, only to lay them down in disappointment. They were exactly like hers, but her feet had developed somewhat since her baby days, whereas the owners of these shoes still retained her baby feet, little tiny number one shoes. On she went, bending low over each pair. At last, Tavia dropped the shoe she was carrying beside its mate. At least that was some relief. She would not now have to face the owner in her shoeless condition and returned to his outstretched hand, his number 11. Tavia thought anyone with such a foot would naturally feel embarrassed to be found out. Now for her own. She stooped cautiously, deeply interested in her mission, under the curtain, and a heavy hand was laid on her shoulder. She looked up in dazed astonishment into the dark face of the porter. Mercy, did he think she was trying to enter the berth? She realised instantly how suspicious her actions must have appeared. Please find my shoe, she commanded haughtily. It is not in my berth. The porter released her. You don't leave them for me to be polished, he inquired respectfully. No, indeed, replied Tavia, trying to maintain her haughty air. 
It has simply disappeared, and I must have two shoes, you know." "Of course," solemnly answered the porter. "Tavia," called Dorothy's voice, "what is the trouble?" "Nothing at all," calmly answered Tavia. "I've lost a shoe, a mere nothing, dear." One by one the curtains moved, indicating persons of bulk on the other side, trying to dress within the narrow limits, and the murmur of voices rose higher. Shoes were drawn within the curtains, and soon there were none left, and Tavia stood in dismay. Aunt Winnie, Dorothy and Ned, and lovely Mrs. Sanderson joined Tavia. Others stood attentively and sympathetically looking on while they searched all over the car dodging under seats, pulling out suitcases, and poking into the most impossible places in an endeavor to locate Tavia's lost shoe. A sharp, sudden bark, and Mrs. Sanderson returned in confusion to her section and smothered the protests of her dog. She called Ned to help her put him in his little white basket, at which Doggy loudly rebelled. He had had his freedom for an entire night, running up and down the aisle, playing with the good-natured porter. Doggy played hide-and-seek under the birds and dragged various peculiar-looking black things back and forth in his playful scampering, and he did not intend to return to any silk-lined basket after such a wild night of fun. So he barked again, saucy, snappy barks. Then he growled fiercely at everyone who came near him. In fact, one of the peculiar-looking black things at that very moment was lying in wait for him, expecting him back to play with it and just as soon as he could dodge his mistress, Doggy expected to rejoin it, reposing in a dark corner of the car. At last he saw his opportunity, and with a mad dash, the terrier ran down the aisle, determination marking every feature, as pretty Mrs. Sanderson started after him, and Ned followed. Tavia sat disconsolately in her seat, wondering what anyone, even the most resourceful, could do with but one shoe. A sudden howl of mirth from Ned and an amused, light laugh from Mrs. Sanderson, and, back they came, Ned gingerly holding the little terrier, and Mrs. Sanderson triumphantly holding forth Tavia's shoe. By this time, every passenger had left the car, and the cleaning corps stood waiting for Aunt Winnie's party to vacate the vehicle. Tavia put on the shoe, but first she shook the terrier and scolded him. He barked and danced up and down, as though he were the hero of the hour. We must get out of here double-quick, said Ned. Oh, dear me, exclaimed Dorothy. Where is everything? I can never grab my belongings together in time to get off a train. I'm not half-dressed, chirped Tavia cheerfully, and they will simply have to stand there with the mops and brooms until I'm ready. Aunt Winnie sat patiently waiting. Do you want to go uptown in the subway or the bus, she asked. Both, promptly answered the young people. End of chapter 10